1: the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now.
2: Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting on the Heritage Radio Network. This is Greg Blaze, and I'm here with co-host for the day, Patricia Katowska. Who's hi. A, hi there, Patricia, who is a cheese and salumi buyer at Italy. I'm, I'm super glad you're here with us today at Roberta's and yeah. out of the office.
3: I'm so glad to be here.
2: <laughs> We're joined today by Alex Brown, general manager and cheesemonger for Gourmet Imports in Los Angeles, who's in town for the Fancy Food Show. Thanks for making the trek out to Bushwick with us. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. It's awesome. How are you enjoying your time in uh, New York so far? It is, in a word, very
4: moist. Moist. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> kind of damp Absolutely. And sticky. Yeah, we have a we have a dry heat where I come from. Yeah, but, where are you from? Uh, well, I live in Los Angeles, but I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, so sure. Very, very much a
2: desert boy. Nice, nice. Yeah. I was just re-watching uh, Breaking Bad, you know? good stuff a lot of whenever I want to feel good about myself you know I I watch uh, some Breaking Bad and it you know makes me feel like at least I'm not a meth dealer you know what I mean they get a lot right in that show yeah they do (laughs) (laughs) so I wanted to ask you um, about uh, cheese mongering and cheese culture in general Uh, what have you seen as the main difference between the east and west coast in terms of the culture the counterculture and just the cheese in general Good question.
4: Um, I mean, I think all of it could be summed up by just looking at it from the perspective of time. Um, obviously like cities like New York, um, you have a much higher concentration of independent cheese counters, uh, cheese importers, cheese producers in the state. Um, and in a lot of ways, uh, Los Angeles has been growing up for much longer. Um, so like when I started working in cheese about 13 years ago, I mean there were maybe like 4 cheese yeah. counters in uh, in Los Angeles and now it's closer to like 12 and it's it continues to grow. Same thing in San Francisco, although I feel like San Francisco follows They were the a little, little different.
2: Yeah. When I I was out there for a little bit of time uh 7 and 08 in LA there was there was Beverly Hills cheese shop an Andrew's Cheese Shop, Mm -hmm. and I think DTLA had just started up around that time, and that was about it for for in terms of who I sold to down there. But in San Fran, they had a healthier or a different, a different kind of uh, of cheese culture. Yeah, just much more established, and I think that I mean because of that,
4: you know, the the culture between the mongers and between businesses is much stronger, and I think that we're all enjoying a much more collaborative kind of air, you know, and that's really really positive and special. Um, and with production, I mean, same sort of thing. Like I think that there's, there've been cheesemakers in California for a long time, yeah. but, um, the variety and, uh, and the quality, uh, of what they're putting out is
2: changing very quickly. I also found the distribution to be, I am from new England. Everything's small. You know, you can throw a rock from one end of the Massachusetts to the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, California Especially, if, you know, L.A., San Fran are totally different, and there's – it's hard to get cheese from the north to the south, or it was when I was working there. Oh, totally. I mean, in the – when I started, um,
4: you know, being more involved in, in purchasing and things at the company that I work for – because I didn't come from cheese. I came from, from kitchens. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you know the joke used to be man it can get a pallet from new jersey cheaper than get a pallet totally. from uh, from the bay area
1: yeah.
4: um and it it remains that way in different parts of the country too that just don't have the same supply lines established but um yeah distance makes a big difference and, and it more and more so when it comes to you know if milk is traveling to be making right. the cheese which is a great uh, mystery of um California. Oh, it's a mystery.
3: <laughs>
2: when you worked, uh, Patricia, for uh, for Atlanta, you were sending. Uh, they had a warehouse out there when yeah. Uh, when you worked for them, when did you work for Atlanta?
3: Um, I started there in two thousand eight, and so I did two internships there um, up until twenty ten, and yeah, they've they're pretty well established in Los Angeles. They're actually, um, they have many sales reps out there, and they you know sell all the wonderful. Gourmet imports from Italy and France and England. And they, they're, pretty, they're pretty great to work with out there, from what I've heard. Cool. From people.
2: You know, I think there's this idea of, uh, of L.A. specifically being all about vegan food and uh, going for food trends like, you know, gluten-free. And uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Is that a myth or is that the reality of the situation? Because I'm going out there to help make a cheese counter, and these people have to eat. Milk, absolutely. Oh yeah, I mean,
4: <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely uh, there's definitely all of those cultures are knit uh-huh. into one, but it's not. You know, in a funny way of uh, of kicking it back, it's like in a, a more kind of a, clearly a much more established cheese community like in New York. Sure. I've heard of, you know, both mongers and producers being like, "Ooh, yeah, like I'm not going to be able to sell these washed rind cheeses in the summer." And hilariously in Los Angeles because we don't have seasons period, right? right? <laughs> people are people are buying washed rind cheeses no matter what time of the year it is. We don't have that kind of specificity of flow, but yeah, of course, there is also a 100% vegan cheese shop in Los Angeles Whoa. which is uh very very interesting the man behind it is very charismatic the product is is weird and kind of gross what's nut cheese it's all nut cheese but it's i'm fine with nut cheese in the spread sense but when you're attempting making doing like traditional cheese making techniques with nut cheese it gets a little weird like spraying mold on like you know pureed Uh, nuts? nuts i don't know
2: uh, nut know. cheese. I don't know. It's it's just I feel weird saying it. You should. Would you like to buy some of my nut cheese? Uh, no. Maybe. Well, uh, nice. That's great. But the city's changed a lot. I mean, the
4: the and the food culture too. And there's a there's a funny way that you know, along with like people moving to Los Angeles from places like New York, places like San Francisco. Uh, to find more affordable housing. Sure. There's also like tons of restaurants that are coming. Like Jean Georges just opened up a place right. in Beverly Hills. Crazy. You know, you guys are coming out. Oh, we are. I think there's, because there's been this. This long evolution, I think, of the food culture in LA as as you would know it in other cities, there's now all this crazy opportunity. Which isn't to say that the people that are living there aren't doing a good job, but oh no, it- there's there's a lot of space to be filled. I think a lot of people are seeing that and and moving accordingly. Um, yeah,
2: I I'm always of the mindset that you shouldn't. You want to be a part of what already exists mm-hmm. but I'm I'm never afraid to challenge the established order of what people eat in terms of cheese and salumi. My my whole life I've been trying to convince people to eat spoiled milk, you know, things that smell to them horribly, you know, they're odd looking, the texture is not familiar to them. So I'm okay with it. Totally. It, you know, it just it doesn't it doesn't scare me, but you want to find that balance between what you want to make people feel comfortable and like you're not a UFO that's landed, you know, in their territory and just sort of, you know, pushing our alien philosophy and food on them. But by the same token, I'd like I'd like to be able to change people's minds about things like that. Totally. Well, I think
4: now you know, 2017 and beyond is. Uh, is a great time to, to come to the city and people are really voracious now for not only like new things, but also all the information. Like, I really feel that people are hungry to know not just like what it is, but like where it comes from and how it's made. Um, and an adage that like I've always had with me, most of my customers are are chefs, right? Um, but you have to think about your customers like goldfish. You keep a goldfish in a small bowl, it stays small, you put them in a bigger tank, it gets bigger. Right. So we have to always be pushing our boundaries. I we agree. have to always be teaching people about, well, maybe that cheese might scare the hell out of you, but just put it
2: in your mouth and it'll be fine. <laughs> Do you think that the reasons why people are more interested in that is simply because the information is more available to them? Is it a fear-based thing or is it a healthy sort of curiosity about where their food comes from. I mean, I think all of the above. I think there's there's definitely much more um,
4: education happening in, uh, in both mass and, I guess, slightly less mass media, whatever we call that. Um, you know, Michael Pollan, people that are like, you know, writing about food and sure. writing about how... You know things like cheese, like are actually it's more like medicine than something that's going to put you in the grave. Totally. Um, but then there's also the the thing that I mean I personally love to to uh, talk shit about. Oh, sorry. For what you bleep? Is that no. okay? Okay. Say where the hell you want. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love to talk shit about food television, but at the same time, food television. Has totally captivated Americans and made everybody care so much more. I think about. I food. agree. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was easy to snark out and be like, wah, 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 "This isn't real." But now, I think it's really contributed to everybody supporting what we do and what we need to do for our producers. So,
3: agreed.
4: And if LA is like a big like media city as it is, right. you know, Um, Then all the more reason why now it's becoming much more of a food
2: city. Food TV is an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Back when I was a, a kid, I used to watch Julia Child. Me too. And uh, and that inspired me quite a bit. Uh, I used to watch uh, Walk with Jan and uh, um, the the two large. They were I think it was called like the two fat ladies or two fat. They were these. <laughs> there was some that. crazy PBS food st- frugal gourmet yes absolutely yeah. <laughs> and and that was really helpful and then I we went through this uh, food network uh, used used to be uh, good eats mm-hmm. and Molto Mario these kind of things and then we were obsessed with and we still are with reality so with the you know food TV became about watching people competition yeah yeah. Which wasn't so much, wasn't as interesting to me. No. But now I, I think we're swinging back the other way. I've often been approached, or people have, have talked about why, don't, why isn't there a, a, a cheese based food program on television? But I, also, I often found like it doesn't, cheese is so sensory. Yeah. And so it would be hard to translate. It would be the travel aspect would be great because that's what everybody wants. They want to know where do we get the good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, So that would work well. But you can't scratch and sniff your TV (laughs) yet.
3: And also, it would be weird watching a show watching people basically do dishes all day. Sure, which is what cheese making really is. Totally, yeah. Doing dishes,
4: yeah. A lot of cleaning, a lot of paperwork. But I mean, and that's—I think it's also a, a precious part of what we do. Still, that what we do is secret in this way, right? And mm. I think that there absolutely, and I and I know that you guys feel the same way. And this happens, but like whenever you tell somebody that you work in cheese, like there's always this kind of like, really, what's that man, all
2: about, man? What do you even do?
4: Yeah. You know, there's oh, great mystery and job. interest to it. Yeah, it's like well. I, I manage humans and try not to lose money. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: (laughs) Sure. But But you have to have that little P.T. Barnum aspect because even if the box is empty, the thought that there might be something inside of it will keep people coming to pay a quarter to look at it. Totally. Totally. There was a a Simpsons episode where uh, Apu was... uh, uh, Jasper was frozen in his... uh, He went in and, and froze himself... Because he wanted to uh see what the world was like later on. So Apu turned the quickie mart into this sort of uh, museum of food oddities and uh he had this can that had no label. And they were uh, you know, they were like, Come take a look at this can. What's inside the great mystery of this canned food? Because the label is gone. Could it be olives? Maybe it's hearts of palm. did so, uh, and cheese definitely has that that mystery. I like that, yeah, uh, because there is some magic in cheese. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Absolutely, yeah. Even I mean, even in like larger scale production, it just there sure. is still it's the total alchemy, alchemy is there. Yeah, yeah. It's real alchemy. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, that is that, that's part of the reason why I why I got into cheese. It was a, a mystery to me, and it was unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. The the eating of it, it was around me, and I'm from the country, so the smells of the farm and like poop smells, things like that I'm totally comfortable with all of that, and mm-hmm. um, it makes me happy to be around it, uh, which says a lot about me yeah. but it, there's a <clears throat> there's a little bit that i I try to still keep for myself of those secrets, absolutely, but, yeah, I
4: mean, I love gross stuff, I love it. But yeah, you can't tell everybody everything. You don't want to freak nah. people out too much. But some people are really willing to go there with you, and I think that that's also something. Those about, are the people you hire. Well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. But that's also I think that that kind of tactile connection that wouldn't translate to the television, you know. That's what's great about interactions at the counter or like when you're working with the producer, even just with other cheese people. Like there's kind of this visceral uh, experiential yeah. element.
2: Uh, before we go to break, that's uh, I wanted to ask you that as a as a distributor, uh, Patricia, you had extensive uh, experience as, as with distribution as well. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you you work for a company that? I mean, obviously, you get to interface with the product, but when I worked in distribution, I felt I lost a little bit of that which I loved, which was just to be able to put my hands on the stuff and play with it. Would you agree?
3: For me, it was a little different um, because I was on the sales and marketing part of it, so I was touching product on a daily basis and sharing it with people. Um, But no, I I definitely have seen it uh, just from other people that I've worked with who just don't get to touch the product as often anymore and they're like i'm just looking at excel spreadsheets all day right Mm -hmm. and some people love that some people are magicians at it um but you know, at the end of the day, you still want to take home some cheese and, and have your bag smell like mine does itself.
4: Yeah, uh, and your entire body and all of your clothes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that smell uh, is very special. I mean, we we have to be pretty hands on again because of well, because we we want and need to be. So I don't feel, I don't feel that I have any any loss of like literal connection with the cheese. Um, and in a, in a way that I, that I don't know is very common. I mean, I never worked in cheese retail officially. So when I started working for gourmet imports, I mean, I applied to be the secretary cause nice. I only had worked in kitchen since I was 14. I have a degree in philosophy, so I have no skills
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs>
4: other than flipping burgers. And I really That's wanted to skill. learn how to use like a fax machine <laughs> and like be able to be helpful in an office environment. So once but our shop was our distribution was initially in the back of a shop sure. and so once i kind of got into it and got the bug i kind of became the end of all questions that the retail sure. customers would have so i got to have that experience but we have to like touch and prod the cheese for the chefs because if we uh, if we send them yeah. something that sucks it's it, coming back to you
2: they're not shy about no. their feelings. Cool. Be. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about your recent trip to Europe. Cool. Stick with us.
1: Right. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth generation cheesemakers, combining old world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards, the very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chichois, which was named 2016's world champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese. And once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer.
2: Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm here with my co-host, Patricia, and our guest, Alex Brown of Gourmet Imports in L.A. Before the break, we were chatting about California and its food culture, food TV, and a whole bunch of other interesting stuff. How we all like to play with gross foods and smells. And that's why we're all here together. And um, in this part of the episode, I'd like to talk about your recent trip to Europe. You were there right before you came to New York City, correct?
4: Yeah, um, I was there with, uh, with the owner of my company, my boss, and uh, one of my other colleagues for a couple weeks in France, and Great. then like, a little a little jaunt into Switzerland. Fantastic. What was the highlight of your trip? Oh, so many. Uh, I got inducted into the Guild of Formagia. Oh, congrats, congratulations. It was very congrats. exciting. Um, all three of us did all at once, and... Uh, uh, Rodolphe uh, Lemunier was our sponsor uh, It happened at his um, his International Cheese competition, the Mondial du Fromage Impressive And yes. uh, <laughs> in, a, in his little uh, Introduction of us, he referred to us As the three musketeers of cheese Fantastic Which <laughs> stuck so intensely the rest of the yeah. time we were there. Everywhere we were, they're like, oh, look, it's this Three
2: Musketeers. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: I don't know if I'm D'Artagnan or someone else, but it was pretty fun. I've been referred to as the American. Uh, the nicest thing I think I was ever referred to that I was traveling in the, in the Jura Mountains for a, for a different trip. Um, they referred to me as the boy of cheese, so <laughs> thanks guys. <laughs> it's better than the alternative I've been called a lot of not nice things too, so that's uh, fair, the boy bro. of cheese worked for me that's fair and um, you visited uh you you were in uh probably in Jacquin, right we, yeah, yeah went to uh, see. from Tremblay. yep yeah very 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 incredible
4: and i I have to say like i mean I've worked with Jacquin's cheese for for thirteen years and mm-hmm. I really assumed that when we walked into the plant that we were going to see all these machines. Right. No machines. No. Everything's very, very low tech, and something that we got really lucky and fortunate. Um, Pascal Jacquem, the owner of the company, yep. um, I met he, him. he gave he gave us the tour, and he spent like two hours with us. He went really deep. Passionate. And apparently, uh, you know, at many times during their evolution and growth of the company they've had the options to automate certain things curd tumblers things to flip the you know to flip the vats all this Their stuff the packaging everything yeah. yeah and at every juncture they've put it to the workers and say like do you want these improvements because ultimately they're for you and the workers keep saying no. We want to maintain these, you know, these traditional gestures. I think they also probably don't want to get laid off by robots. Yeah, but, hell no! Uh, <laughs> no one does. No one does. <laughs> but it was pretty amazing
2: to watch to watch that production. How like efficient and magical it was. They've gone through a lot of uh, a lot of iterations of their product, and they've they've had a lot of uh, of sort of touch and go situations their product used to all be raw yep. and it would all come in the AOC labels on it that's great stuff that was a, in the 90s that was what was available for french goat cheese and mm-hmm. sevrebel from the from the loire river valley yep. if you were talking things that were you know legal and mm-hmm. it's supposed to, it's supposed to be here, and um, and it was great. it Came in and then and I lost that cheese for a while. It just yeah. just wasn't there. And then it came back. And instead of uh, Croton, the Chavignol, they crawl. They called it some odd name that I don't remember. And and the cheese didn't sell. You, yep. Which I I really found in, interesting. It was uh, one of my first uh, realizations of the power of uh, of naming and, uh, and the AOC, why it exists and the trust that people place in the names of those cheeses.
4: Weirdly enough, uh, you know, my, so my boss, his mom, uh, who started the company, she went to high school with, with Pascal. So she's, oh, cool. she's from very, very close to where the cheese is from. And, uh, we were hanging out with, um, with his cousins and, you know, they, they got some cheese from the grocery store to like have as like an aperitif. And I mean, the cheese is amazing and it was raw milk. But interestingly enough, the Celsius Cher wasn't AOP Celsius Cher from Jacquem. Right. So even in France, where was got, it from? It was from Jacquem, but it was it had it had one of those like different names like yep. like Roland de Cher or mm, something like that. Right, right. Which really threw me for a loop. I was like, wait a minute, did they like put the American stuff in the case by mistake? But it was still Le crew
2: Very weird.
3: Huh.
2: Very weird. But um, I love all of the little. I think it's harder to. I'm, I could be wrong. The only all of the Loire stuff that I've seen mm-hmm. has always been uh, hands-on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's little molds. You know, it's little, little, little molds for Croton. Yeah. So um, I think it may be, and again, I could I could be totally off base here, but I think that you know the best stuff is always going to have that hand ladled quality. Oh my God! Yeah, and we we had this. Uh you know we saw we went to
4: um Jacquem. we also went to um Cloche Dor sure who is a that's a company that's you know been around for a long time yeah. making goats, cheeses in the Loire Valley and interestingly enough you know that's kind of like there's a deep familial connection between Cloche Dor and Rodolphe Menier uh-huh. um but we also kind of like happened upon this uh this uh, farmstead curtan producer we like went to Sancerre just to like do the tourist thing for a minute and at one of the wine caves, they're like, oh, you should go visit this farm. Sure. And uh, these people, all they make is crotin. All they make is raw milk, AOP, mm. crotin de chevignol. That was so tasty. They sell it at four ages. The shop that they sell out of is, you know, Jason, the farm's teeny tiny. And we went there totally unannounced, which generally makes me very nervous. But they were super welcoming, super sweet. And they basically talked to us for like three hours about their process, about the feed. Oh, my God. The cheese was so good. So did you good. bring
3: some back
4: is the question.
3: I didn't.
4: I didn't. <laughs> you I ate it all. I ate it all. We gave some to Rodolphe, and I've already uh, I've already paid uh, overweight uh, payments on
2: two flights for packing my suitcase full of booze.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Been there. I, I love that. Cheesemakers are amazing people. They... Some of them are. not Some of them just don't want you around, and I totally respect that. Yeah. But some really do. They really take a lot of pride in yeah. their in their work, and it it's inspiring. Whenever you can, everybody always wants to get out of the house. They all want to travel. They want the tourism. You know, we we'll try, we'll try to understand a certain level, but there's work to be done. As uh, Emily and I, uh, we we always. Um, we did a show with uh, with our, our friend Jason Hines a little while ago, and it's still we've been building off of this show. Uh, the uh, it, it sort of spawned a seminar that we helped to teach uh, for Lassa Skinner and the counterculture thing that she's doing. Cool. The tasks versus uh, versus work. You know, tasks are all the shit you got to get done before you can start doing your work, which is to sell cheese. And um, and everybody wants to travel and meet these people, which is ultimately it's it's very inspiring. But I feel like you know they they skip steps sometimes to try to get there. It took me a long time before anybody let me out of the house. Agreed, agreed. And it's a it's a really rare,
4: it is a rare thing. I mean, I don't I don't travel all the time, and and doing it is is wonderful, but it's also taxing.
2: It is. It's a that's work. Yeah, that people ask ask me that when I. I'm around people that aren't which is rare. When I'm around people who aren't involved in in cheese or involved in food, they they always assume that. They're like, "Oh, you have the greatest job. You must just travel all the time." I'm like, "Oh yeah, every day I'm out there, you know. <laughs> I frequent flyer. I'm in it, which isn't true. You know, like when when they say I visited these farms, I visited these six farms. That wasn't six trips. That was like one day, Yeah. boom, Yeah. 16 hours, in a car, with, you know. It's
4: much more like being, it's very similar actually being on tour. Like, have you ever done that in a band where, like...
2: No, I've never been on
4: tour with a rock band. It sounds... Have you? Because I want to know about that. uh, Well, uh, I tour with my band, like, once every other year, but it's not, it's definitely not rock music. It's much more like ritualistic dungeon music but but that that pattern of travel is very similar where it's like yeah you wake up you drive two hours you wake up early oh yes two or three hours to the farm you watch the process some of it's very thrilling some of it as you said is cleaning and watching a vat like turn into milk jello um then more cleaning then you eat then you drive somewhere else. It's like it's all packed into one day. Sure. It's not like this like luxurious like jaunt in the field. Although there's some of that.
2: Which is great. I mean, yeah,
4: it's all it's all good, but it's it's work. Yeah. I mean, my de facto response to the like, "Oh, you're, you must do you travel all the time? How often do you go to Europe?" And it's funny, my de facto answer is always, "Yeah, I do, but not as much as I would like to." Sure. But in reality, that's not true. I think I travel just enough. Absolutely. I think like a couple, you know, food show conference trips a year, one big producer trip. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. And there's all the work that you're not doing while you're doing that work too, mm-hmm. <laughs> which will be fun to catch up on.
2: <laughs> so you said you also uh, you went into Switzerland for a minute. You yeah. went to
4: Gormino. Yeah. So uh, the Gormino people, we've worked with them. I think since they since they began, we've always bought cool. um, our Greer and their Emmental from them love, love Joe. Joe's um,
2: amazing.
4: And we, unfortunately Joe wasn't um, in Switzerland with us. We were hanging out with his bosses who, you know, happened to be quite nice. Um, and we got to kind of watch the life cycle of the career that we buy from Michael Speaker. That's cool. So, you know, we, Got up to go bring the cows in to watch the morning milking. I attempted to milk a cow and kind of failed. Uh, and then watched the full cycle of production and then visited Michael's cave and then drove to the the central Affinage facility that they have in Lagnow, which was an old Emmental branch facility, right. So more like, Modern cellars, like going deeper and deeper into the ground, like they have an elevator. And then oh. we drove to Reichenbach and visited the new cellars that they're about to open, which are these converted military
2: tunnels. That are totally insane. It's, it's I love so that. I love that the, these fortresses, that these uh, <laughs> these things that existed to to defend against being killed or to kill, they've all they've been repurposed into this wonderful spot where. Milk is being preserved it's the it's, it's the exact opposite mm mm-hmm. Of it, the of the cycle, it feels very uh, very special to get to
4: see that over and over again. And yeah, how how wonderful would it be if just more and more military facilities like sublimate into affinage? That's so cool.
2: I would enjoy that. I want some more of that to happen in this
4: sure. country. Let's make it happen. Okay, <laughs> maybe like a
2: decommissioned <laughs> aircraft carrier that just Ooh. floats around in the Ooh. ocean, and they can mature the cheese on the aircraft carrier. And then deliver it, same by by the same token. You Ooh. solved like thirty problems right there. Get some oceanic terroir, some special right. brine. Right, yes. and if we have to, if we have to quickly, uh, you know, move cheese, we can just get some helicopters and bang, you're right there. I like where this is going. Good. I like where this is going. So if you uh, if you come across any money, you and I can uh, you know go in together. We'll buy an aircraft carrier and uh, mature cheese on it. Sounds perfect. Although
3: those giant cargo planes. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like a DC-10. Yeah.
3: Just
4: driving pallets in. Although I don't know that any of us are ever going to come across money working in cheese. But that's okay.
2: No. But. We. Well. We'll be okay. We picked the better fight. We did.
4: We picked the better
2: fight. It I'm not gonna. Fight. I'm not gonna let you end there either. Uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk a tiny bit more. Um, you mentioned that you were with um, with uh, Rudolph in uh, in tour. You were a judge in in Mundial, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 So we just had our CMI, our Cheesemonger Invitation, which is yes. awesome. Our like Woodstock and uh, you know of, uh, it's of rave, cheese. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's a awesome. fantastic thing. Um, you um what were the major differences obviously what you noticed in between uh the Mundial, am i'm not talking about the the fun aspects and the festival aspects aspects of it what was the di- the difference between you know that contest and this one well i didn't get to see too much of the actual monger competition uh-huh.
4: um but my my boss steve he was uh he was a judge for the monger part so i've 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 heard a lot about the process and though, you know, though Rudy and Adam are like brothers and definitely both like to rage in equal measure. Totally. I feel that it's really interesting to see how like restrained and branch, you know, Mondial is, um, the monger competitions pretty serious. Sure. It's really serious. It's very quiet. It seems very stressful. And in some ways it's like, I mean, I know the mongers that competed, um, you know they're they're doing such a good job to like let their personalities like break right. through the ice of like you know of uh of assessment um but th- that's a big difference i think is that the the procedural elements of it are much less like joyous and like vibrant and it's a little bit more a little bit more intense.
3: Do you think it has anything to do with the cultures involved? I mean, there are people from Japan competing. Of course. And, you know. It is
4: international. I mean, I think that probably everybody would want to have a little bit more fun for Dolph. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is, there is a level of kind of, I think it, it mirrors the type, the types of competitions that already exist in France. I mean, like the one, like the 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 Mayor of de France competition, which Rudolph right. won. Um, those are really serious to the French people. It's like the Congressional Medal of Honor if you're mm. an M O F, which is great, which is awesome. But
2: but yeah. you know, what are, when you, when you say it's a, there's there's elements of of cheese that. Are that cross all boundaries? Of course, you have to be able to handle the product. Yes, whether you're at the CMI or Mundial or the big, or the big, big, big one. Yep that uh, that Rudolph that uh, that he won. I just wonder why why it has to be stressful. I I don't know. I don't
4: know. It's just I it's more formal.
3: And and I think it um, has a lot to do with uh, educating the world about a certain market of cheese. So mm-hmm. the people from Japan are like, Hey guys, we're here, we're competing, we take this seriously, we love cheese and we know about cheese. Come buy cheese in Japan. Okay. So I that's that's my sure little token from that.
4: I think it's also the culture of the people that are doing the work. So if you look at, like, some of the people, not to say that, like, you know, the people from the Netherlands or the people from Japan even that are competing at Mondial
2: don't like to party because they do. Everybody likes to party. Everybody likes to party. (laughs) The more serious you look on the outside, the more insane you are when you cut loose. That's my theory. Absolutely. Yeah. The twinkle in your eyes shines a little bit brighter.
4: But I will say, and I, you know, maybe maybe I'm off here, but it seems like there's just much more of a like there's already much more of a counterculture. And I don't mean that in in, in the terms of you know, totally. the cheese groups that we're talking about, but actual counterculture. There's more of a vein in that in American cheese mongery, I think, than in these other countries. And so the people that are, you know, we're committing our lives to this, they tend to be a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more exciting in that way.
2: Well, I don't. My only issue ever, people seem to think, or maybe this is in my head. I mean, that's what motivates me sometimes. I have that, that chip on my shoulder. Because I've done this for a long time, and I'm used to dealing with people. And it's less so than it was, say, in like the mid-'90s. Right. But people are like, oh, you're an American, and you do this? Like, you just must be full of shit. You couldn't possibly understand what it is to be this. And I don't right. think that that's the case at all. No, right. I think that Americans are, that we are also serious about what we choose to line up behind very much. so, We have a lot of pride as a nation in, in our, and our citizens are encouraged to be prideful Absolutely. of the, of what they do. So I, it's just, I think that the perception is, uh, is sometimes off, but I also think that everybody can use a little bit more, enjoyment you know the the french right. i love the french uh, you know i'm a i'm a i have a lot of ex- existentialist crises in my life there are many times when i wake up and i'm like you know why am i even getting out of bed you know there's no you know if, if nothing means anything then shit i'm i'm gonna go work pantsless today you know <laughs> or something you know something like that mm-hmm. but uh but i think i think that we bring an interesting element to the table Totally of, of our passion. Well, and I think there
4: there is like I mean you know not to make it about about time or age or anything, but there is like for lack of a better term, a youthfulness that I think yes. the American scene brings to yeah. the cheese community, both in terms of production and in terms of in terms of mongering these competitions. And I think right. in this in this way, it's like maybe maybe it's important, maybe it really is essential. Frankly, that like you know Rodolph's event, which is truly amazing. Um, and it's coordinating basically a cheese only food show um, focused on independent producers as much as possible I think the entries have grown from like 100 to 600 or 100 to 300 Um, also the cheese competition so all the producers like at ACS are submitting cheese to be judged Mm -hmm. and I got to do that which was cool yeah and this monger competition so it's this crazy hat trick of work and maybe it's essential that it has a little bit more of this like it's a little bit more highfalutin and intense. The stakes might be a little bit higher, but CMI stakes are high as shit too. And it's yes, they it's are. also essential that it be this like joyous, raucous like thing because, well, I mean, I think that that also speaks to to who Adam is and what he wants to sort of imbue everybody's eyes with cheese. You know, not yeah. only the people that are in the community, the people that aren't in the community, so that yeah. they're excited about it, but. I mean, both, both events are, are magical.
2: And if you ever have a chance to get to tour, I highly recommend it. Definitely. I'll put it on my list. Well, Same. I want to thank you so much for your time today, Alex coming on in and just, uh, you know, spending a little time with us in the shipping containers in Bushwick and, uh, Patricia, you know, thanks for coming, uh, out of the office yeah, and hanging you out for with having us. having
3: me. This has been so much fun.
2: Cool. Well, stay tuned for more cutting the curd and, uh, Have yourselves a lovely day. Ciao, ciao.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Wanna be a part of the food world's most innovative community? rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.